Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the wrestling highlights from Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and also Impact Wrestling. Um, this week was a lot of chaos and a lot of surprises. Um, NXT, particularly, because NXT wasn't your usual NXT show. It was a whole lot of rebirth. It was a whole, whole nother... Uh, Rendition, a whole nother rebirth of NXT is not your usual uh, independent style NXT, what you're used to from 2014 all the way to uh, early, matter of fact, late 2020. This uh, this episode was a new beginning, but before I get to all of that, before I even get to NXT, let me just start off with Monday Night Raw. Raw started off with Big E coming out, and Big E is your Money in the Bank winner. If you don't know what Money in the Bank is, let me refresh you. Money in the Bank is you go up a ladder, you climb a ladder to grab a briefcase. That briefcase inside of it has a contract. You can challenge for either the WWE Championship or the Universal Championship anytime that you want. Literally, anytime that you want. Whether it could be before their match starts, after their match starts, or even in Seth Rollins' case that he did at WrestleMania 31, in the middle of the match, you can cash in it and also be included into the match so you can fight for their world championship. Anyway, Big E came out and he, uh, WWE flashed up a tweet that he posted up later earlier uh, that day. And he tweeted out saying that the cat's out of the bag. I will be cashing in my Money in the Bank contract tonight on Monday Night Raw. So that's the reason why Big E's out here. And Big E has a mic. He comes out before he says anything. RK Bro comes out. And then so does Bobby Lashley and MVP. The whole main point of this is that you have all the championship contenders in there. Randy Orton and Bobby Lashley supposed to be fighting for the WWE Championship later on tonight. But originally, last week on Monday Night Raw, it was promoted that Randy Orton and Matt Riddle would be defending their Raw Tag Team Championships against MVP and Bobby Lashley because MVP and Bobby Lashley last week won the Tag Team Turmoil match, and they were scheduled to get their championship opportunity tonight. So MVP mentions to Randy how they were supposed to get their title match, but Randy somehow talked to somebody in management and had their match change. And he asked Randy, how did he get that done? Randy said he just talked to the right person, and they got it changed because he is Randy Orton. After all the spitter-spatter was all done, Randy Orton laid out Lashley with an RKO, and Randy and Riddle walked out of the ring, and you have Big E just sitting in the corner, and he's just watching all this unfold. And I thought, personally, I thought that he was going to cash in right there and win the WWE Championship to begin Monday Night Raw off, but that didn't happen. Instead, we will have to wait and see if he would cash in later on that night. After this, we get in-ring competition between Shayna Baszler going against the Raw Women's Champion, Charlotte Flair. Charlotte beats Shayna Baszler by pinfall after Shayna was distracted by Nia Jax getting on the apron, and this allowed Charlotte to hit Shayna with a big boot and pin Shayna Baszler. Nia Jax just paid Shayna Baszler a receipt for what Shayna did to her last week by getting on the apron and distracting her, and allowing Charlotte to hit Nia Jax last week with a um, natural selection off the top rope. Anyway, after the match, you have Alexa Bliss coming down to the ring. It's Alexa and her little doll, Lily, and Alexa has a gift to give to Charlotte. Charlotte didn't want the gift, but Alexa said that you should take the gift. They go a little back and forth, but Charlotte eventually accepts the gift. And inside the gift is a doll that's supposed to look like Charlotte, and they call that doll Charlie. 
Alexa says that she gives Charlotte this doll because after she takes the Raw Women's Championship away from Charlotte at Extreme Rules, Charlotte should need something to play with. Charlotte eventually looks at the doll, says that she doesn't want the doll, and she said that the championship is not going anywhere. It's going to stay around the queen's waist, and Charlotte eventually throws the doll back at Alexa. Alexa then gets upset and decides to pounce onto Charlotte, and now you get these two women hitting each other. They're just doing a little spitter-spatter back and forth against one another, and Alexa gets the better of the two after hitting a code red on Charlotte, and Charlotte rolls out of the ring. And Alexa picks up the Raw Women's Championship and poses with it. So we might be seeing a glimpse of what we could see at Extreme Rules. After this, we get in-ring competition of a six-man tag team match. It was scheduled for Drew McIntyre and the Viking Raiders to go against Jinder Mahal and Indy Shear, which consists of Veer and Shanky. Drew makes his way to the ring. He does his entrance. And as he's waiting in the ring for his partners to come out, out of nowhere, Jinder Mahal and Indy Sheer attack Drew from behind. And as they're attacking Drew, the Viking Raiders then run down the entrance ramp to get into the ring. So now the match actually officially begins. So now we're in our six-man tag team match. Drew and the Viking Raiders beat Jinder Mahal and Indy Sheer by pinfall when Drew hits a claymore on Shanky. This is a stupid feud. I understand this is just a feud to fill time for Raw, but I believe Raw should be able to do something better. And I believe they will. Again, this is just a filler. After this, we get a backstage uh, segment from Big E. And he's met with Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. Kofi and Xavier are just there to cheer on their friend. And they can't wait to see Big E cash in his Money in the Bank contract tonight. That's all that backstage segment was about. After this, we get our in-ring competition of the United States champion having an open challenge for his United States championship. And the person that answers it is Jeff Hardy. So we have a United States Championship match of Damian Priest defending his U.S. Championship against Jeff Hardy. The reason why this match happens, and they won't ever say it uh, live, but they were kind of alluding to it on television, is that uh, last week Jeff Hardy was in the little chase for the 24-7 championship on Raw. And the fans and wrestlers on Twitter and social media were so upset that Jeff was in this because the 24-7 championship is such a rubbish championship that a legend and somebody that's well-respected by both the fans and the wrestlers didn't want to see Jeff out there like trying to do this for the 24-7 championship. So that's the reason why he was even getting this opportunity for the United States championship match. But again, they kind of alluded to it on commentary because as Jeff was doing his entrance, you hear the commentary team say that Jeff has so much respect from the fans and the rest of the wrestlers in the back and everybody around the world. So they were alluding to it. They were dancing around it. Um, but anyway, Damian Priest does beat Jeff Hardy by pinfall after hitting him with the Reckoning. They had a nice little match. I mean, there were some little flub-ups here and there, but Jeff Hardy does lose to Damian Priest whenever Damian hits him with the Reckoning. After the match, Sheamus runs down to the ring and attacks both Damian Priest and Jeff Hardy. Damian beats up on Priest, and he hits a bro kick on Jeff Hardy, and Sheamus was about to hit Damian Priest with a bro kick as well, but as soon as he was running towards Damian and about to hit him with a bro kick, Damian hits Sheamus with a bro kick of his own, and this happens to get Sheamus off his footing because Sheamus again is feeling it being disrespected by Damian Priest. So that's your last uh, image of Sheamus walk like rolling out of the ring, after being hit with the bro kick, and he's walking up the ramp, just holding his face. By the way, Sheamus is still wearing his face mask, which, again, I understand they want to 
do the story of that. But yo, all right, enough with the face mask. Let him have the face mask off and let him wrestle by without a face mask because it's starting to get stupid and I can see where they're headed with this. Um, Damian Priest was ending up holding the United States Championship and we have our match at Extreme Rules. Damian Priest going against Sheamus for the United States Championship. It was already announced two weeks ago when Sheamus beat Drew McIntyre, but again, this is just adding more fuel to the fire. After this, we get a backstage uh, segment from Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley at the gorilla position, and Nikki wants to come up with a winner's celebration for her and Rhea Ripley, but Rhea tells Nikki that she has to get focused for her match with Natalya, and they need to focus on the bigger picture of winning the Women's Tag Team Championships. As soon as Rhea says this, out comes Natalia and Tamina, the women's tag team champions. They tell Rhea and Nikki that they have been dominating eras while Rhea and Nikki just have been having some great moments. Nikki is hyped up at this and wants to fight uh, at that comment. So Tamina shoves Nikki and now you get a brawl between Rhea, Natalia, Nikki, and Tamina. And Sonya Deville and the referee sees this. They break up the brawl. And Sonya announces that before Rhea and Natalya have their match, Nikki and Tamina will have to go at it first. So now we get Nikki Ash with Rhea Ripley in her corner going against Tamina with Natalya in her corner as their first match. And they have this. And Nikki beats Tamina by pinfall after hitting Tamina with a tornado DDT. But they had some uh they had some problems with this after the match, though, because as soon as the count go off, it seems like the Tamina kind of like raised her arm up after the referee hit the three. It seemed like a miscommunication, but anyway, the announcer announced that the winner is Tamina, and they even played Tamina's theme, and then you hear the crowd start to boo because that's not what happened. Nikki just beat Tamina clearly in the ring by Tornado DDT, so I just put this as a WWE uh, failure, as a WWE, not failure, as a WWE mishap. But anyway, after this, we get the Rhea going against Natalia and Rhea uh, made Natalia tap after locking her into the inverted cloverleaf. This was a solid uh, match between Rhea and Natalia. Again, I want to see Rhea Ripley by herself in a bad uh, guy type of position because her character is a bad guy character. They're trying to switch her to be a nice uh, person on the main roster. She's not meant to be a nice person, so to say. Rhea Ripley's character is meant to be a complete, like, jerk and a complete, just, like, bully. And that's how she came into WWE after doing the Mae Young Classic and doing her stuff on NXT UK and doing her stuff on NXT. She came in as a bully, and she should have stayed a bully. But again, this is the main roster here. After this, we get an eight-man tag team match. It's The New Day and Ali and Mansoor going against the team of Mace T-Bar. Omas and AJ Styles. The team of Mace, T-Bar, Omas, and AJ Styles win the match when Omas slams Ali with the two-handed choke slam and pins him. This was a fun little eight-man match. This was, again, just another thing to fill and kill up time on Raw so they can start getting people hyped up for the main event of Randy going against Bobby for the WWE Championship. After this, we get another uh, filler match. It's Dewdrop going against Eva Marie. Dewdrop beats Eva Marie when she hits her with a sliding crossbody. Eva stood no chance. And uh, that's about it for this. After this, we get a backstage promo from Karrion Cross, And the main point of this whole promo is Cross is here to cause suffering until everybody learns to fall and pray. That's it. I understand what they're trying to do here. And they even, like, 
incorporate a little bit of the Sean O'Hare 2002 or 2003 promo by uh, saying that I'm not telling you something that you don't already know. This whenever Sean O'Hare was doing like a devil's advocate on SmackDown type of gimmick, but it didn't even really even go anywhere. But anyway, I can see where they're trying to go here with Karrion Cross. He's going to be this uh, mean, merciless guy that's going to just trying to take out everybody until he gets to the top. I'm cool with it as long as they don't try to have him do something extra stupid. But again, if we're all up for the rebuilding of Karrion Cross from the bottom and showing him as a dominant force, let the matches be shorter and just have him brutalize his opponents until he gets to a stopping block. And then like, okay, this one should give him a challenge. And then he either overcomes it or either he loses like that. That's the kind of character that Karrion Cross is. That's what I'm getting to, and that's what I'm alluding to, and that's what I'm saying. Karrion Cross is a monster. He should be shown off as a monster, as a guy that's just come there, beat your butt, and then that's it. No more, none less. Matches should be short, unless he hits a roadblock. But, again, that's just my opinion on this. And now it's time for the main event. Your WWE Championship match, Randy Orton, with Riddle in his corner, going against the almighty WWE Champion, Bobby Lashley with MVP in his corner. Bobby beats Randy Orton after Randy went outside of the ring and hit an RKO on MVP after Orton had the match won whenever Orton hit Lashley with an RKO in the ring and MVP put Lashley's foot on the ropes. This is whenever Randy went outside of the ring and gave MVP an RKO. So now Randy is now trying to get back into the ring. And with that little bit of glimpse of time Lashley had and Lashley needed, he speared Randy Orton as soon as he got in the ring, and that was all that needed to be written about. Lashley beat Randy Orton to retain the WWE Championship. However, after the match, though, Riddle came into the ring to check on Randy, his tag partner, but Randy and Riddle both get destroyed by Lashley. Lashley uh, destroys Riddle. He even holds up Riddle on his shoulders and runs him into the uh, ring post on the outside, and then he happens to slam Randy Orton through the announce table by putting him through the announce table with a one-handed spine buster. And while Lashley did this, Lashley tweaked his knee because after he put Randy through the announce table, you see Lashley like walking towards the ring and he start uh, like limping. And the announcers even pointed out that, okay, Lashley might have tweaked his knee on this. And as Lashley's entering the ring, Biggie's music hits and you see Biggie come out with the referee you know what time it is. The fans are cheering because they know they're about to see a new champion. They know what's about to go down. Lashley's trying to stop this from all happening. He's trying to tell the referee that he's hurt. And the referee ain't trying to hear this. Uh, Biggie ends up cashing in his Money in the Bank uh, contract. So now we have another WWE Championship match. And Lashley was looking to hit the Dominator on Biggie. But Biggie was able to counter out of that and turn it into the big ending. And he hits it on Lashley. And he pins Lashley and gets the win. So now we have a new WWE champion, Big E, formerly known as Big E Langston. And as soon as that bell rings and they start playing this theme, the fans are going nuts. They are jumping around. You hear the fans yelling, hooping, and hollering. And then you see Big E with the WWE championship. And then the rest of the New Day, Kofi and Xavier come out there. They sprinted down to the ring, and you see Kofi jump and jump in the ring. They're just so excited for Big E because he has accomplished something that everybody says that he should have did 
if anything, this was his time now to do it because he broke away from the New Day a little bit. He was able to get that extra shine on himself. And people said this was the perfect time for him to be world champion. And now he's the world champion. So Raw goes off with Biggie and Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods all going all in the ring celebrating Biggie's success and Pyro's going off. And that's how Raw ends with Biggie just holding the WWE Championship around his brothers, Kofi and Xavier Woods. Now it's time for NXT. NXT, let me just start this off. NXT starts with um, they're showing off the new logo, the logo, and their uh, intro. The intro is so colorful. They got green, blue, orange, pink. I mean, just a colorful entrance. It's trying to show you that they're not going to be the dark and gloomy uh, type of NXT that you guys once were accustomed to. They're now a colorful, bright, and vibrant style of NXT. Um, there's one thing to note, though. Last week on NXT, there was an advertised NXT Women's Championship match that was supposed to be on the show with Raquel Gonzalez going against Frankie Monet for the NXT Women's Championship. It didn't happen. We don't know why, but they did put out a WWE uh, video of Raquel, not Raquel, but Frankie Monet and talking to Robert Stone, telling him that he needs to fix this, calling him a liar because she, he, she was supposed to have her match. And Robert Stone tells her, I didn't lie. I'm going to get to the bottom of it. So more or less... Probably next week we'll get some type of update on NXT and not on their YouTube channel. But I just want to preference that right there and get it out the way. Um, but as soon as NXT starts, they do their intro. And now you get, they they uh, on the intro, they say that uh, we're going to new NXT champion because Samoa Joe had to relinquish the belt over the weekend. So they show off the four competitors, Pete Dunn, Kyle O'Reilly, Ellie Knight, and uh, Tommaso Ciampa. And... As they're doing this, each one of them are saying why they're going to be the new NXT champion. And when the final participant is talking, it's LA Knight's turn. He says why he's going to be champion because he's the best man, yada, yada, yada. And then he says this, and then he, out of the corner of his eye, you see a newcomer in NXT just jumping around. And he's so excited because this is a new era for NXT. And LA Knight just tells him, yo, I'm going to meet you in the ring. And I'm going to beat your butt before I get to the main event. And I'm going to win the NXT Championship tonight. How about that? And the newcomer says, all right, we can do that. And you just notice the newcomer. And he's just wearing some real colorful singlet. And if you know, well, if you're on the inside of professional wrestling, like actually on the dirt sheets and everything else, you know whose son that is. You know exactly who that guy is. And his name is Braun Breaker. Braun Breaker is the son of Rick Steiner. And he happens to be the nephew of Scott Steiner. So the first match on NXT happens to be LA Knight going against Braun Breaker. This is also Braun's debut on NXT. And let me just say, Braun, with a little bit more tuning and fine-tuning, he'll be a good uh, main roster uh, wrestler. He'll be a good professional wrestler. I mean, he has the look. He has the jacked-up uh, body to do and give you that Steiner look of what Steiner's used to look like. I mean, he... If you see him, you'll know, like, all right, he's a professional wrestler, period. Um, But Braun, he did it. He did, his match with LA Knight was great. His match, not going to say great, it was good. He can work on a little bit of things, but again, this is still the new. He's still green, in my personal opinion, but he still was able to get the job done. Uh, Braun wins the match by uh, hitting a gorilla press, and he trans... Uh, transitions it into a power slam and power slams LA Knight and pins Knight. So Knight is now 
zero and one to start off the first new era uh, NXT against Braun Breaker. And this isn't the last time we're either going to see LA Knight or Braun Breaker throughout this program. After this, we get a, another in-ring matchup between Imperium, which consists of Marcel Bartel and Fabian Eichner, going against the team of Brooks Jensen and Josh Briggs. Again, this is a new debuting guy, Brooks Jensen. He happens to be the son of Bull Buchanan, and he's teaming up with Josh Briggs. Imperium wins the match by pinfall when Marcel Bartel hits a double underhook suplex on uh, Brooks off the top turnbuckle and pins him. And the fans were booing this match. The fans weren't uh, too excited whenever Brooks and Briggs were getting the upper hand on Marcel Bartel and Fabian Eichner. But whenever Imperium won, you start hearing some fans cheering for it because they still feel that old style of NXT nostalgia with Imperium. After this, we get an in-ring competition between B-Fab, and she has the rest of Hit Row in her corner, which consists of the North American champion, Isaiah Swerve Scott, Top Dalla, and Ashanti Diodonis going against Katrina Cortez. B-Fab wins the match by hitting the net breaker. Let me just make this clear. B-Fab is green, but with the trainers at NXT, like the um, Sarah Del Rey and all the other type of trainers that they have in NXT, and I believe the NXT trainers, again, are some of the best trainers in the world because you have so many NXT wrestlers that come out of NXT and they will say that they have some of the best trainers in the world, not just because they're pandering to their actual WWE uh, company, but because they believe it because you have guys that train people from nothing and turn them into something. I believe that B-Fab with the trainers at NXT will get better with time. But again, this was their first match on live television and NXT again, is fresh. They threw a new uh, coat of paint on NXT. They're trying to uh, elaborate, not elaborate, but like establish that, okay, these are new stars, and we're going to show you what they got. After this, though, B-Fab gets on the mic, and she starts calling out Legato del Fantasma, specifically Electra Lopez, because Electra hit B-Fab two weeks ago with a lead pipe in the chest, well, in the stomach. And Legato del Fantasma comes out with Electra Lopez, they start running their mouth, they trash talk, but nothing happens, nothing comes of it. Uh, that was it for that. Now we get a backstage segment of Johnny Gargano in his locker room, and he's with the rest of the grooms for Dexter Lumen's uh, wedding tonight. And the grooms are Odyssey Jones and Cameron Grimes. Grimes and Jones are talking about who they got winning the NXT Championship tonight, and then Grimes asks Gargano who he got, but Gargano isn't paying attention because he says he feels like he's missing something. Then as soon as he says this, a door, like a knock on the door happens and he walks over and opens the door and it's Austin Theory. Austin Theory, who is a member of The Way, who hasn't been on NXT for a good solid month. Um, Gargano says, I thought you ran away. And Austin Theory said, I did run away, but I'm not going to miss Indy's wedding. And Theory says, I also brought along a priest. And we think it's going to be somebody like a priest priest. But nope, out comes Damian Priest, who was just on Raw the following night. Damian Priest happens to say that, yeah, I'm here for the party. And Gargano lets Theory know that Damian Priest is not a real priest, dude. Theory looks at Priest and Priest says, yeah, I'm not a real priest, man. I'm just here to party up. And that was the end of that segment. Oh, but before the segment does end, though. Gargano and Theory hug and embrace, so now the way is fully all here tonight, and Gargano is now actually happy.
After this, we get an in-ring uh, interview from Carmelo Hayes with now his associate, Trick Williams. Carmelo mentions that he needed someone to watch his back because he has a shot at any championship in NXT off of winning the NXT breakout tournament. That is why Trick is with him. And Trick has been a friend of Carmelo since he's with a young guy. Trick asks Carmelo, who is this humble guy that Carmelo has been trained to be? He tells him that he is the golden child of NXT. He has the golden ticket. There's no more time for you to be humble. Whenever you're this good, you don't got to be humble anymore. Hayes happens to agree with Trick, and he announces that, yeah, I am the golden child. As a matter of fact, I'm the chosen one of NXT. And from here and now on, there's going to be no more playing around. They leave out of the ring, and Duke Hudson comes out, and he meets both Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes, and Duke Hudson's supposed to have a match. But before he gets into the ring, he looks at Carmelo and says, uh, he's lucky to have beaten him in the breakout tournament, and pushes both Hayes and Trick. Trick takes off his shirt and he tells Hayes, this is what we need to be doing right now. We need to handle this. And Trick goes into the ring and he hits Duke with a spinning big boot to the face. And then Trick just starts stomping out uh, Duke Hudson. And Trick looks at Hayes and calls Hayes to get into the ring. Hayes looks at the fans a little bit and then he shrugs his shoulders and then he gets in and joins on uh, stomping out Hudson. He stomps him out so much that Trick tells him that, Ayo, that's enough. But Hayes is like, nah, that's not enough. He tells Trick to pick up Hudson. And Trick picks up Hudson and Carmelo hits Duke with a springboard clothesline and lays out Hudson. And they go back to stomping out Hudson again. So you can see that we get a new uh, vicious side of Carmelo Hayes because with Trick by his side to tell him, Ayo, you need to turn it up a little bit. We're going to see a new look and a new like style to Carlo Melo Hazen. Me personally, I can't wait to see it because I didn't like the new I didn't like that humble stuff with Carmelo Hayes. He just seemed like he was putting on a front and he should be that cocky arrogant guy. So I'm glad that we're going to see that on NXT. After this we get a backstage uh segment of Gigi Dolan and JC Jane looking at Mandy and telling her that this new look of hers is the real her. That blonde stuff and all that stuff was the old her. And now this new look is the real and true you. But we don't see Mandy's look because the camera is facing the back of Mandy and she had a hood up. And Gigi and JC are ready for their uh, upcoming match that happens next. And now we go to in-ring competition. is Gigi Dolan and JC Jane going against Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter. Uh, during this match, you see a screen pop up on your top corner of your television or your monitor, whatever you're watching it on. And you see Kyle O'Reilly in his locker room and he's confronted by Pete Dunne and he gets attacked by Pete Dunne. And then Rich Holland pops in and starts beating down on Kyle O'Reilly as well. Because remember, Kyle O'Reilly is supposed to be in the Fatal 4-Way with Pete Dunne later in the night to crown a new NXT champion. Uh, they stomp down on Pete. No, they stomp down on Kyle. Sorry. And Kyle gets saved by a mysterious uh, guy who we learn to find out his name later in the night. But that's just a little something that happened during this match. Anyway, Casey and Caden end up winning the match by disqualification when Casey was on the top rope. And she was going to do some type of uh, move off the top rope. But she was pushed by a mysterious woman that came down the ramp and got on the apron to push Casey. The mysterious woman is wearing all black. She has a black hood, black jacket, 
And now as she gets in the ring, she takes off her black mask and it's unveiled that this is Mandy Rose. And she's now dyed her blonde hair into a brunette hair. So now she's a brunette. Congratulations. Gigi, JC, and Mandy are now stomping on Casey and Caden until Saray comes down and makes the save. And now we go to commercial break. And when we come back from commercial, it is now being confirmed that this will be a six-woman tag team match of the team of Mandy Rose, Gigi Dolan, and JC Jane going against the team of Casey Catanzaro, Caden Carter, and also Saray. Mandy, Gigi, and JC win the match when Mandy hits Caden with a bicycle knee to the face and pins her for the win. And by the way, Mandy Rose's uh, group name is Toxic Attraction. I didn't know this until going to, again, their YouTube page and you see a video of them talking and the interviewer says Toxic Attraction has won tonight. How do you women feel? So their group name is Toxic Attraction. Just to give you that. After this, we go backstage, and it's William Regal. He announced that Kyle O'Reilly won't be able to compete in a fatal four-way match, but he says that the mystery man that saved Kyle O'Reilly will take his place, and he introduces the man, and the man's name is Von Wagner. I have no idea who this dude is. Again, just to keep on emphasizing this, this NXT episode is to introduce new wrestlers that we're going to see down the line in the future, just to constantly let you know that this is a new era for NXT. After this, we get a Ridge Holland going against Drake Maverick with Grayson Waller in the corner. Ridge Holland beats the break off of Drake in this match. Drake can't get not a bit of offense off, and Ridge beats Drake with the Northern Great, which is basically the Emerald Fusion. Pins him, gets the win. After this, we get a backstage interview with Tommaso Ciampa. He mentions that there are new faces trying to make a name for themselves tonight, but tonight isn't about them. It's about Tommaso Ciampa and Goldie. That was his name for the NXT Championship whenever he held it. He mentions that it has been 908 days since he's had Goldie, and tonight he gets his redemption. They go to a vignette of a guy that's going to be debuting on NXT, and his name is Tony D'Angelo. He has an Italian gimmick. I don't know where we're going to go with this, but I'm going to wait and see. After this, we go to back to in-ring competition. It is the Creed Brothers with the rest of Diamond Mine in their corner going against two uh, local guys that I don't even care to know their names. The Creed Brothers beat the brakes off these guys. Uh, the winning maneuver happens when Julius hits one of the guys with a double leg sweep leg slam and floats over and hits a... Uh, running, sliding clothesline directly to the man's face. Covers him for the win. There you go. After the match, the rest of Diamond Mine enter the ring, and Malcolm Billings introduced the newest member of Diamond Mine, and it's a female, and her name is Ivy Nile. Uh, her claim to fame is that she was on NBC's Titan Games. I mean, she's all jacked and cut up. I mean, she looks like a bodybuilder. She looks like she could do something. She has a future to do some in the wrestling profession, but I mean, time will only tell. Uh, after Malcolm introduces this woman, Kashida comes out and he tells Roderick that he's ready for his match with Roddy, and Malcolm says that next week they will have their match, and next week is what's confirmed that Kashida will go against Roderick Strong for the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. Now, after this, we get the main event of Pete Dunne going against LA Knight 
going against Von Wagner and Tommaso Ciampa for the NXT Championship, the Fatal 4-Way match. Tommaso Ciampa ends up winning the match whenever he hits the fairytale ending on LA Knight and pinned him to win. So now Tommaso Ciampa is the new NXT champion. Uh, Just a little side note here. This Fatal 4-Way match felt like you would see it on the main roster. I mean, it was a good match still, but it didn't have like the elements of NXT that you used to see. Like, okay, every fast-paced maneuver, uh, guys just keep on hitting their moves and keep going and going and bang, bang. I mean, just a constant state of moving. It didn't happen in this. You had some rest breaks in between the stuff. You had people still doing their thing in there, but I mean, you could tell the difference of where we're headed and where we're going with NXT, especially with this Fatal 4-Way match, and you can compare it to past uh, Fatal 4-Way matches that they had in NXT. Again, I like the new direction. I'm not crapping on it. I'm just saying that you can see where we're headed with this. If you didn't notice, you can definitely see it with this match. After the main event was done, now it's time for the wedding of Indy Harwell and Dexter Loomis. Um, they had their wedding in the ring, and they were surrounded by the NXT locker room, well, majority of it. And it came to the part where the minister asked, was there anybody that had a reason why these two should be together? Almost the entire NXT roster started to raise their hands slowly, and everybody raised their hand except for Gargano, his wife Candice, Austin Theory and like the groomsmen for uh, Dexter Loomis. But as soon as Indy and Dexter start looking towards the people uh, in their uh, reception, not the reception, but their uh, the NXT locker room, sorry for blacking out there. Uh, as soon as they would start looking at the NXT roster, Dexter Loomis start opening up his vest, his uh, jacket, and you start seeing the hatchet right there. And you see all their hands start going down. And you see Johnny Gargano start chastising on them, say, serves you right. Serves all of you right. And people on Twitter were having fun with this moment because they were going at Dexter Loomis for having the hatches on them. Because this seems like something that you wouldn't see every day. Dexter Loomis, again, is a quirky uh, character on wrestling he's a silent stalker guy and he's does what he got to do to make sure that he gets not gonna say gets what he wants but if he wants to kidnap you he'll kidnap you they'll just make that short and sweet here um now it's time for the vows and indy hartwell says her vows it's all lovey dubby and she loves in uh dexter and all this type of stuff and now it's time for dexter to say his vows dexter doesn't say nothing he just gives her a thumbs up the minister even tells Dexter, you have a woman right here that just poured her heart out to you, man. Don't you have anything to say to her? Anything? Dexter walks over to the minister and puts him in the silencer and just makes the minister passes out. So now you have a wedding here and with no minister after Dexter knocks him out. And you see the NXT roster looks at William Regal and they start chanting for Regal to officiate. Regal tells him, no, nah, I can't officiate this. I don't know what to do with this. So, Beth Phoenix, a champion that has been championing this whole love story between Dexter and Indy, gets into the ring and she finishes off the rest of the sermon. And now it's time for the I do's. Indy says, I do. So now it's time for Dexter to do it. And we're waiting to see 
will this silent guy who has been silent for his whole NXT time will say the I do's. He doesn't say it for a good couple seconds and Dex, not Dexter, but uh, Beth Phoenix says, we'll just take that as a yes. And Dexter puts his hands over Beth Phoenix's mic. He walks over to his mic and says this. I... <gasps> do. Now, as you hear from the reaction, that was a whole lot of fanfare. People were cheering and clapping it up because now we get the culmination of about a good, almost a whole solid year's worth of storyline between Gargano and Dexter Loomis. And now uh, Indy and Dexter are together on NXT. And we'll just have to see uh, what type of hijinks this uh, couple will get into and how this will ultimately end. But uh, yeah, that was the marriage of Dexter Loomis and Indy uh, Harwell. And they kissed. They uh cheer it up and everybody's happy and everything else they go to the backstage now and we see Tommaso Ciampa watching all of this happen as he's holding Goldie and he turns right to his side and again who walks up to him Ron Breaker walks up to Tommaso Ciampa and congratulate him we're ending NXT the same way that we started it off with Bronze Breaker being showcased and uh Tommaso tells Bronze uh, the same thing is congratulations for his NXT debut. And Tommaso says that he expects good things out of Braun in the future of NXT. He extends his hand out and he noticed that Braun is looking at the NXT title all while this is happening. And then you see Braun looks at Tommaso right dead in the eyes. He shakes his hand and now you have it locked in that now you get the idea that Braun is going to be the next guy gunning for Tommaso Ciampa's NXT championship. And this felt like the old John Cena and Undertaker, where Undertaker was the WWE champion in 2002, and John Cena just came in, and Undertaker was the veteran, and he said congratulations to John Cena and said that he can't wait to see things from him. But the difference was, John Cena wasn't gunning for the WWE championship at that time. And Bronze, he's gunning for this NXT championship. But again, this just gave me the feel of Undertaker and John Cena. Uh, with this situation. Again, there's nothing wrong with this. So, again, NXT, brand new look, brand new feel, brand new faces coming in. And this is just the first start of a whole new uh, era for NXT. And I can't wait to see what happens along in the future. Now it's time for AEW. AEW starts off with CM Punk. CM Punk is supposed to be joining the commentary table, which consists of Jim Ross, Excalibur, and Tony Schiavone. Before CM Punk does go to the announce table, he goes out to embrace with the fans. He does this whole little jump into the audience and lets them just embrace him. And he stands there and was able to uh, shake hands and clap hands with all the other fans before he does get to the commentary table. And once he does this, now it's time for the matches to begin. The first match of the night was Adam Cole going against Frankie Kazarian. This is Adam Cole's debut match in AEW, and he beats Kazarian by pinfall. When he hits the Panama Sunrise, and then he follows that up with the last shot. After the match, we get Adam Cole on the mic, and he talks about people in the locker room not being able to keep up with the elite. He names three guys in particular that have gotten underneath his skin since he's gotten into AEW. The names were Christian Cage, Luchasaurus, and Jungle Boy. He then decides to make a challenge for next week's Rampage, which those three men will go against himself and the Young Bucks, the Super Click. And that's the challenge that he laid out. 
After this, we get a video played of the Lucha Brothers and the Butcher and the Blade. The main point of this video package is that on Rampage this week, they will have to go against each other for the AEW Tag Team Championships. After this, we get Tony Schiavone in the backstage with Fuego Del Sol and Sammy Guevara. Fuego has a brand new car behind him, and he talks about that he wants to put up his brand new car to challenge Miro for the TNT Championship. And if Miro wins, he will get Fuego's new car. The reason why Fuego is doing this is because he feels that he was so close to beating Miro in his last match that he had with him that he just wants one more shot at the TNT Championship. So... Miro agrees to this. Now we go to an in-ring promo from MJF with Warlow by his side. MJF talks about the fans having sympathy for Brian Pillman while they should have some sympathy for MJF. MJF then proceeds to trash talk the fans of New Jersey because that's where AEW Dynamite was in this week. MJF talks about not caring about how his words offended people last week after he was talking about the Pillman family. He then proceeds to talk to Brian Pillman Sr., well, the dead Pillman, the father. He looks up to the sky at first, and he says, hey, sir, I'm here too. And he said, you know what? Nah, that ain't the right interpretation. And he looks down and stomp on the mat, meaning and giving the exact idea that whenever he looks up to the heavens, when you look up, you're thinking that you're talking to your person in heaven. But when you look down and you start talking, well, you get the idea here. He talks about how he needs to tell his son that Brian Pillman Jr. is worthless and that if Brian Pillman Jr. comes to Dynamite next week, MJF will beat him up. Pillman's music hits and MJF sends Warlow up the ramp to meet Pillman just in case Brian Pillman is going to try to run down the ring. But Brian Pillman Jr. was able to sneak into the ring with a steel chair and is behind MGF throughout this time now. Pillman was about to hit MGF with a chair, but Warlow was able to see this. He runs back into the ring and grabs the chair from Pillman. This allows MGF to roll out of the ring and Warlow gets a slap to the face by Pillman. Warlow runs towards Pillman and Pillman was able to pull the rope down and this allows Warlow to go over the ropes. But Warlow doesn't hit the floor. He's now on the apron. And Pillman grabs the chair and he swings at it on Warlow. But Warlow drops down off the apron. And now you have MGF holding Warlow back from trying to enter the ring. And MGF just tries to calm Warlow down. After this, they then proceed to play a video of an interview that JR had with Brian Pillman earlier in the day. And the main point of this video is that JR tells Pillman that he needs to beat MGF's buff next week. And Pillman says he, that's his plan on doing that because he doesn't like how MGF is around here just mocking his family. And Pillman feels that he failed his family for not doing something to Pillman, not Pillman, but MGF last week. So now he has the opportunity to do something next week at the biggest stage of AEW Dynamite at Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York City to embarrass MJF. Now we go to a backstage interview with Christian Cage and the Jurassic Express. Ultimately, they accept Adam Cole's challenge, and in the process of accepting his challenge, they even throw a couple shots at Cole's ways by saying he's his friends got him out of developmental and he, how he's used to losing the Wednesday night war, so why not lose a Friday night war as well? Well, if you didn't get the drift, 
Adam Cole was in WWE's NXT, which NXT is known as WWE Developmental. So that was that one shot if you didn't catch it. And also losing the Wednesday Night Wars. AEW debuted on a Wednesday night and AEW was in competition with NXT who were on Wednesday night, but they were on the WWE Network, but then they transitioned over to the USA Network. So they went head to head in competition and AEW Dynamite was a new hot brand new thing and they were always beating NXT in the ratings war. So that's what that uh, shot meant. If you didn't know, I caught you up to speed. Now, after this, we go back to the in-ring competition. It's now time for tag team action. FTR with Tully Blanchard by their side going against the team of Matt Seidel and Dante Martin. FTR beats Dante and Seidel when FTR hits the big rig on Dante and covers him for the win. This was a solid tag team match. FTR does what FTR does. They put on good tag team matches, no more, no less. After this, we get a video playing of Lance Archer and Minoru Suzuki. They talk about how AEW disrespected Minoru Suzuki last week by having him compete against John Moxley in John Moxley's hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio, meaning that John Moxley had the advantage and probably some uh, referees uh, were under the payroll, if you will. But ultimately, they talk about challenging Moxley in Kingston next week, and the challenge does it get accepted. So next week on AEW Rampage, also at Authorized Stadium, it will be Moxley and Kingston going against the team of Lance Archer and Minoru Suzuki in a Lights Out match. And if you don't know what a Lights Out match is, that means everything goes. But this match does not count officially on their AEW's uh, wins and losses record book. That's all that means. Uh, we go back to the arena and the, the lights go off. And... Now it's time for Malachi Black to do his entrance, which nobody knew it was time for Malachi Black to even come out. We didn't know if he was going to do anything or say anything, but he comes out and he walks towards the ring, but he's not dressed for competition. He's in a black suit and a black hood. Malachi gets in the ring and he tells the fans that they have an enemy in the arena. And the camera pans over to Rosario Dawson in a Nightmare Family jacket in the front row. Dawson... It now moves the barricade, is now walking towards the wrestlers uh, outside of the ring. And Malachi is on the outside meeting Dawson, and now they come in face to face. Then you see the camera pans over to a certain part in the arena. You see Cody Rhodes coming down from the audience and start walking himself down to the ring. And then the camera pans over back to Malachi, who's watching this, and he sees Cody coming down. Now his eyes and attention is focused on Cody. And this allows Rosario Dawson to jump on the back of Malachi and start choking him. Malachi was able to get her off of him, but as soon as he does this, right behind him is Cody. So now you have these guys brawling with one another. They brawl around the ring, and then Cody sends Malachi Black over the barricade and now into the audience uh, arena. And now they're brawling into the crowd, and then they're brawling up the steps. They bash each other with... Uh, audience member drinks again that's nuts in this day and age of COVID going around here and still with all that you're just taking uh, audience members drinks and bashing each other with it again that's not my forte but hey they know what they're doing but that was the end of that uh, whole little brawl there they play a hype video to hype up the match between the bunny and Anna J on Rampage that was a dud after this, we get a Dan Lamberg and Men of the Year and also members of American Top Team in the ring as Dan Lamberg talks about how modern wrestling is crap. 
He talks about how wrestlers do constant flips. They will get hit with big moves and then they'll kick out of two. He's complaining about a lot of things that old-timey wrestling uh, legends will complain about either on interviews or podcasts. So Dan Lambert is basically the physical embodiment of legend uh, old-timer professional wrestlers in AEW getting mic time. He continues to crap on modern wrestling until Chris Jericho and Jake Hager uh, walk out, and now they're on the entrance uh, stage. Dan yells for the production team to stop playing Jericho's theme music because Jericho uh, music is fozzy and the audience is singing fozzy. But Lamberg is saying to Jericho that nobody really knows your uh, music. Nobody doesn't know that interest theme. As a matter of fact, they don't know the lyrics. They're looking at the lyrics on their phone and the fans don't care what Lamberg is saying. They continue to sing Jericho's theme. And now you get Jericho saying, well, for them not to know my song, that sounded pretty good. Jericho then proceeds to make fun of how Dan Lambert looks. And then you have Jericho and Lambert just sending shots at one another. Jericho talking about how Lambert doesn't even go here. How he's just a guy that's just an old man yelling at the clouds, yada, yada, yada. Lambert's talking about how Jericho's the physical embodiment of AEW, talking about how he should be the guy that's with Lambert crapping on all this new modern stuff, but he gets why Jericho does it, so Jericho can leech off of these uh, AEW fans to buy his crappy music. Jericho and Lambert just constantly throw back and forth jabs, and all this leads up to Jericho and Hager wanting to fight Lambert and the American Top Team. Lambert tells him that they're not going to fight here. They're going to fight at a real city that next week you will get the men of the year going against Jericho and Jake Hager. And we do get that next week on AEW Rampage. It will be Jericho and Hager going against the men of the year with possibly Dan Lambert in their corner. After this, we get a video package of the gun club playing and they explain why they attack Paul White. The reason is they aren't getting respect in AEW. They list how they are undefeated as a trio and also in any pair of the tag team combination of the gun club. Billy and his son, Colton Gunn, they're undefeated as a tag team. Billy and his son, Austin Gunn, they're undefeated as a tag team. Austin Gunn and Colton Gunn, they're undefeated as a tag team. So technically, they have a gripe to uh, be upset because they're not even on the rankings like that. They should constantly be getting number one contender uh, tag team opportunities if I were them. But hey, it's each his own. They finish their whole video package by saying, if anybody has a problem with that, just say when. After this, we get in-ring competition of Jay Cargill with her manager, Smart Mark Sterling, in her corner, going against a legit Layla Hirsch. Jade Carter, well, Jay Cargill, I'm sorry, wins the match by pinfall after hitting Jaded, which is the glam slam in WWE's uh, term and word, word uh, verbiage. Uh, wins the match by hitting that move. This match pushed Jade to her limits. I mean, Jade is usually able to beat her opponents quickly, and Layla actually gave Jade a lot to work with in this match, and this was actually a, I'll give it, what, eight-minute match? And it was a solid eight minutes for these two to go at it, so I have no problem with this. Again, uh, this is showing that AEW do have women competitors, but again, this also does prove to you now that 
uh, AEW does need to uh, work on some of their women uh, wrestlers because legit Layla Hirsch is a legit professional wrestler. She can do what it got to do in the ring, but Jade is still uh, kind of new to this, so she needs those ring reps in and with those type of matches. I guarantee you Jade will get better and more uh, defined down the line. After this, we get a video package of Andrade. He explains how he doesn't like people lying to him. He says he didn't give the order to have his match be interrupted against Pac last week on Rampage. He also mentions that he fired Chavo and that he's the boss and that nobody will interrupt or do anything for him unless he says so. Now we go back to the cameras on the commentary table and CM Punk is being confronted by Taz and Hook. Taz and CM Punk, uh, Jack Jaws, they talk smack to one another, and this leads to CM Punk getting blindsided by powerhouse Hobbs. Hobbs was beating down on Punk, and then Hook applies the sleeper hold on Punk, and now Punk is kind of passed out at this moment, and Hobbs tell Hook to move the stuff off the announce table, and Hook goes over to the commentary table and start moving things off of it and telling the commentary team to move and go away. And this allows Hobbs to hit a choke slam on Punk on the commentary table, but the commentary table doesn't break. And after he does this, he stands there and starts smiling and laughing at Punk as he's in agonizing pain, and they just start walking away. After this, we get an in-ring competition of Sean Spears with Tully Blanchard in his corner going against uh, Darby Allen with Sting in his corner. Darby Allen wins the match by pinfall after hitting the coffin drop on the back of Sean Spears. After the match, however, FTR gets in the ring, and now they're staring off with both Darby Allen and Sting. And you know what this leads to. FTR going against Darby Allen and Sting. They go into brawl in the ring. Sting and Darby Allen are fully in control of beating down FTR until Tully Blanchard hits Sting in the back with a chair. But the thing is, Sting doesn't feel the chair hit him. He just feels a little think and he doesn't like crumble to the ground. He just turns around and looks at Tully Blanchard and he starts walking towards Tully. And this now gives FTR the whole full advantage to go after Sting. They clip him at the legs and then they start just dogpiling on him to start putting the boots to him, and then they come together and hit a spike pile driver on Sting and lay him out. And Darby Allen's laid out at this moment, too, because remember, Darby Allen just went through a, a grueling match with Sean Spears, so he's kind of already beat up, so that's the reason why he couldn't help Sting as Sting got uh, pile driven by FTR. Tully Blanchard then gets a towel, and he wets it, and he wipes off the face paint of Sting, the same way that Sean Spears did to uh, Darby Allen in their match earlier. I mean, this is basically going to lead to, I believe, Darby Allen and Sting going and having a match with FTR. And more than likely, they're not going to have face paint on for this because they're, I want to say they want to expose a different side of Darby and Sting. And if that's where they're going, I can see it. But if not, eh, this is just a little wrinkle into more of a, uh, Character development before Sting and Darby Allen. But anyway, this does set up for a match next week on Dynamite with FTR with Tully in their corner going against the team of Sting and Darby Allen. Now it's time for an uh, in ring interview with Tony Schiavone interviewing Brian Danielson. 
But before Brian can even say anything, Don Callis and Kenny Omega comes out and they go to the ring. Don says that he can't stand to see Brian Danielson in this ring. He calls him a hippie millionaire. Don begins to berate Brian and ask Brian who does he think he is challenging Omega. Brian tells Don to shut up. And then Brian tells Omega that one day it will be about the AEW title. But right now, it's all about who is the better man, who is the best professional wrestler. Brian says that he came here to fight the best bout machine, the god of wrestling. But so far, the only thing he sees here is a guy hanging around with stooges. And Brian says some more other things. So I'm about to play the clip for you right now. You know, I, I heard the rumors that maybe you've lost your confidence, that maybe you've lost a step, but I don't think that's true. I just think you've lost your balls. Wow. So what do you say? Yes or no? So you say you want the best bout machine? You say you want the god of pro wrestling? My answer is yes. So as you hear from that, we have our match for Arthur Ashe Stadium again next week on AEW Dynamite. It will be Brian Danielson going against Kenny Omega, but not for the AEW Championship. This is just to see who is the best wrestler out of the two. Now we go backstage and you get Miro talking about why Fuego will want to be so stupid to challenge him again. But Miro, Miro does say that he's going to bash Fuego's head and, and then he's going to bash Fuego's car. So basically, Miro accepts the challenge. So you get Miro going against Fuego Del Sol this week on AEW Rampage for the TNT Championship, which I will give you the results for that whenever it's time for me to recover AEW Rampage. Now it's time for the AEW Dynamite main event. John Moxley and Eddie Kingston going against the team of 2.0 with Dan Daniel Garcia. Before the match begins, Moxley and Kingston were making their way towards the ring through the audience. Again, they were attacked by 2.0 and Daniel Garcia. Daniel Garcia and 2.0 have such a disdain for Moxley or Kingston, but that probably might not be the thing. I think 2.0 and Daniel Garcia want to make their name uh, so undeniable in AEW, even though 2.0 got a contract, they just want to make sure that they, that people in AEW will never take them as not being serious competitors, because you keep going after the top dog, and even Jim Ross or Tony Schiavone mentioned it on commentary that these guys keep going after the top dogs in AEW, so I mean, they must want to prove themselves to everybody, so what better way than to go after two of the top dogs in AEW? Anyway, back to the point here. Moxley and Kingston do win the match by pinfall after hitting the violent crown, which is the half Nelson suplex with a running clothesline on Jeff Parker. They pin Jeff Parker to get the win. After the match, however, Moxley and Kingston are celebrating in the ring, but was cut short when Minoru Suzuki music plays and he walks down the ramp. And then he gets on the apron and you just see him staring down Moxley. And as his music is playing and it's 
hyping it up to get to a certain point that the crowd gets into and they post a chant, a certain chant in the Minoru Suzuki uh, entrance. You see Archer pull Kingston out of the ring by his legs. And now you have Archer and Kingston fighting outside of the ring as Moxley and Suzuki are now in the ring and just hitting each other and just laying into each other. You now get Archer and Kingston fighting into the crowd while Moxley and Suzuki now are fighting around the ring. And Moxley and Suzuki eventually fight into the crowd and now you get Moxley and Suzuki into the crowd fighting around and you have Archer and Kingston fighting in the crowd of AEW and that's how AEW goes off and we do yet again I have to announce this that they do announce that AEW Rampage next week whenever Arthur Ashe Stadium happens it will be Minoru Suzuki and Lance Archer going against a team of Eddie Kingston and John Moxley in a lights out match, and that's how they end AEW Dynamite. Now it's time for Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling starts off with Decay, which consists of Crazy Steve and Black Taurus going against the team of Violence by Design, which consists of Diener and Rhino with Eric Young and Joe Doring in their corner. Decay wins the match when Crazy Steve hits a jumping DDT on Diener and pins him. After the match, Eric Young gets in the face of Rhino and starts lambasting him for messing up. Rhino then puts his finger in Eric's face, but Eric swats Rhino's fingers out of his face. Eric then tries to turn around and walk away from Rhino, but Rhino grabs Eric Young's uh, wrist. Eric Young slowly turns his face towards Rhino, and Rhino then is now locking his eyes constantly on Eric, which allows Diener the opportunity to blindside Rhino and hit him in the side of the face. So as Diener is now stomping on Rhino, Diener tells Diener, uh, Doring to join in, and Doring joins in and starts jumping on Rhino as well, putting the boots to him. And now you got Diener and Doring just putting the boost to him, hitting him, and just laying out Rhino. And Rhino is on his knees just looking up at Eric Young. And Eric Young grabs the Violent by Design flagpole and break it over the back of Rhino. And then as Rhino's body is laid out in the ring, they cover his body with the Violent by Design flag. So they kick Rhino out of Violence by Design. After this, we get a backstage segment at Swingers Palace, which is a bootleg casino. And they talk about winning every single bet last week except for one. TJP walks in and asks for his winnings. And that's the one bet that the house didn't win last week of the match of Petey Williams going against Steve Macklin. Uh, TJP is now counting his money and Petey walks behind him and slaps the money out of his hands. PDX TJP, I thought we had an understanding to stay out of each other's business. And PD says this because PD interfered in TJP's match against Steve Macklin two weeks ago. And TJP got upset with him and he told him to stay out of his match. And PD had a match with Steve Macklin last week. And TJP interfered and Macklin beat PD. And now TJP signs it off as, I think we're even now. Ultimately, PD is upset and he challenges TJP to a match later on tonight. And TJP accepts. Now we go to a backstage interview with the Team Cage Christian Cage, Eddie Edwards, Sammy Callahan, Chris Saban, and the X Division champion, Josh Alexander. 
The main point of this interview is that they are all agree to play nice with each other, even though some of them are going to have to face off against each other at Victory Road this upcoming Saturday, which is tonight once you listen to this. But they are teaming together because they are the best five wrestlers in Impact Wrestling. After this interview, we go to in-ring competition. It's TJP going against PD Williams. PD Williams wins the match by countering a TJP maneuver, the, the Maui Straw Cradle. And PD just sat down and pulls TJP's legs up and pins them, and PD gets the win. After the match, Steve Macklin does run into the ring and attack both PD Williams and TJP. He spears uh, PD Williams as he was tied up in the tree of woe, and he does attack TJP with his own mini broom that TJP walks around with in the backstage area and also in the entrance uh, ramp. So he lays them both out. And after this, we get a backstage interview of the Good Brothers, and they talk about beating Rich Swan up in the bunkhouse brawl last week. They mention how Willie Mack was laid up in the hospital, and that's the reason why Rich Swan couldn't handle the Good Brothers last week. And as they were walking away, and they open up a door, they see Willie Mack on the other side of the door, and he's on crutches, and they mock him, and they see Willie Mack give one of his crutches to somebody on the other side of him. And it turns out it's Rich Swan. So now you got Mac and Swan battling and hitting the Good Brothers with crutches. And now you get Impact Security coming in to break up the brawl. And you have Mac and Swan telling security not to touch them because they're ready to swing on anybody with it, the crutches. And now you get a Mac, Willie Mac and Rich Swan interview out of this. They talk about they want to take the Impact Wrestling Tag Team titles away from the Good Brothers because they beat them in a non-title match, so they're the number one contenders. Scott Demore walks towards them, and now you have Mac and Swan telling Scott that they want their tag team title match. Scott tells them that they'll get their tag title match at Victory Road. After this, we get an in-ring competition between John Schuyler and Laredo Kidd. Laredo Kid is a wrestler from uh, the Mexico promotion AAA, and he's also their Cruiserweight champion. And this is a rematch from uh, before the Impact uh, last week's uh, match between John Schuyler and Laredo Kid, where Laredo Kid won that match. Now you have, in this match, John Schuyler winning the match whenever he tries to pull off the mask of Laredo Kid, but Laredo uh, tries to keep his mask on his face, and this allows Skyler the opportunity to pin Laredo with a schoolboy and get the win. Now we get backstage uh, segment from The Influence, which consists of Madison Rain, Tennille Dashwood, and Kayla with a K. And they invite their special guest, Taylor Wilde. Taylor Wilde comes into this segment and she brings her guests, Jordan Grace and Rachel Ellering. The main point of this whole thing is... Taylor Wilde mentions to Tennille that Tennille has a lot of wins over Taylor Wilde. But Taylor does mention how she has gotten helps with uh, both Rain and Caleb by her side and also interfering in the matches. So Tennille is say, sitting there just being uncomfortable. And Taylor says that Tennille should have no problem beating Taylor again. So she challenged her to a match at Victory Road. Tennille tries to back out by saying she has a massage schedule, but Taylor says that she heard a yes out of this, and she asked Jordan Grace and Rachel Ellering, did they hear, did they hear that uh, Tennille agreed? And they shook their head, 
then Tennille agreed. So ultimately, I think we got our match for Victory Road. Uh, Tennille Dashwood going against Taylor Wilde. Possibly. After this, they show footage of Matt Cardona attacking Rohit Raju and Shiro as they were entering the arena. And the reason why this is happening is because Rohit Raju did hit a uh, in the interracial, not interracial, God, intergender tag team match of Chelsea Green and Matt Cardona going against the team of Rohit Raju and Shira. Rohit hit a uh, jumping knee on Chelsea Green and Pinder. So Matt Cardona is still upset at Rohit for doing that. So he's trying to get his revenge on Rohit as uh, quick and as fast as he can and as often as he can. Now you get an interview with Scott Demore. Scott Demore talks about the whole Cardona incident. And Cardona comes behind him and tells him that he wants Rohit Raju. Scott makes a match with uh, Cardona and Rohit at Victory Road. And is going to be in a no disqualification match. Long story short. After this, we get in-ring competition. Trey Miguel going against Matthew Raywalt. Trey Miguel makes Raywalt tap out to a double leg arm lock. After the match, Deanna Peraza does come down to the ring and uppercuts Trey Miguel right into Family Jewels. Deanna Peraza is then hitting uh, and kicking uh, Trey Miguel in the back and in the head. And this is when Mickey James comes down to the ring and starts jumping on Deanna Peraza. So now you have Mickey and Deanna Peraza fighting and Mickey gets the better of the two in this fight. And now you get Impact Wrestling referees come down to separate the two. And you got Matt Raywell pulling Deanna Peraza out of the ring. So now in the ring is Mickey James. She's in the ring by herself as Deanna Peraza is with Matthew Raywell on the outside of the ring. And the referees are right on the outside with Deanna Peraza and Matthew Raywell to make sure that Deanna isn't going to try to get in the ring. Mickey then climbs up the top turnbuckle and jumps onto Deanna Matthew and the rest of the refs. And this is just uh, building up to the eventual match between Mickey James and Deanna Perrazzo, more than likely at Bound for Glory for the Knockouts uh, Championship. That's just my opinion. After this, we get a backstage promo from Tasha Steeles with Savannah Edwards, well, Savannah Evans by her side, and they are holding the Knockouts Tag Team Championships, even though they are the champions. Tasha Steeles mentions how they didn't steal the tag team titles from Havoc and Rosemary. Uh, she mentions how Havoc and Rosemary took the titles from her at Slammiversary, so she decided to take back what is rightfully theirs. She mentions that Victory Road, Havoc and Rosemary can try and take the titles back from them, but that won't happen. Now it's time for the main event, Team Cage, which consists of Christian Cage, Josh Alexander, Eddie Edwards, Sammy Callahan, and Chris Saban going against the team of Team Austin. Ace Austin, Madman Fulton, Moose, W. Morrissey, and Brian Myers. Team Cage wins the match when Christian Cage was thrown into the corner by Brian Myers, but Josh Alexander was able to tag himself in by tagging uh, Christian's back without Brian Myers' knowledge. So this allows Christian to hit Myers with a spear. And after this, Josh Alexander comes into the ring and hits Brian Myers with a C4 and pins him. So after the match, you have all of the members of Team Cage in the ring and raising each other's hands. And that is how Impact Wrestling ends. Again, this wasn't uh, that much of a impactful episode of Impact Wrestling. 
But again, they're just trying to build up more to Bound for Glory. So after this episode, I feel that we're going to get much more uh, highly anticipated episodes of Impact Wrestling to come along in the future. Again, that's just my uh, thoughts and my opinions on that. Now it's time for SmackDown. SmackDown opens up with Roman Reigns and the Bloodline in the ring for their in-ring promo. Roman tells Paul Heyman to tell the fans to how to properly acknowledge Roman Reigns. Paul then begins to sing the praises of Roman Reigns, talking about how Reigns has uh, taken no days off. Pay-per-views after pay-per-views, mega event after mega event, Roman Reigns is always here in front of the WWE audience. He mentions how Roman isn't afraid of the beast or the demon. He mentions how Finn has to tap into his inner demon because he fears Roman Reigns. He says that Brock fears Roman. They are interrupted then by WWE champion Big E, who's wearing Fiji's uh, Fuji's inspired New Day gear. Again, New Day and uh, Big E in particular like to pick a whole lot of pop culture references for their New Day gear, but again, this one, it just really stuck out to me because I, once I saw it, I was like, oh, snap, these were in the Fuji's inspired. But anyway, getting back to the point, Big E walks around and he runs around uh, around the ring and he's just basically soaking in the adulation from the fans, from uh, basically congratulating them for winning the WWE Championship this past Monday Night Raw. He gets in the ring and he has a face-off with Roman and he's lifting up the WWE Championship and Roman in return lifts up the Universal Championship in Big E's face. And now you have a stare down between the two. And then out comes Finn Balor. And he comes down walking down to the ring. And he's dressed for in-ring competition. They then go to commercial. And when we come back from commercial, it's now a tag team match between Big E and Finn Balor against a team of the Usos. And Big E and Finn Balor win the match by pinfall when Big E hits the big ending on Jimmy Uso and Finn Balor hits the coup de gras, coup de gras on Jay Uso and Big E pins Jimmy for the pinfall. After this, we go to the backstage and Roman Reigns is in his locker room and he just got done watching this match unfold and he looks at Paul Heyman and he tells Paul to sit down. And he asks him, is there something you want to tell me? Paul says, no, there isn't anything I have to tell you. Roman asks him again, is there anything you have to tell me? Paul says, no, my tribal chief, I have nothing to tell you. Roman then says to Paul, let's just say I know something. Is there anything you would like to tell me? And Paul Heyman follows up with this. I mean this with all the respect in my heart and my soul. I know what you're getting at. And I did not know that Brock Lesnar was coming to SummerSlam. Brock Lesnar fears Roman Reigns. And I, I say that because why else would Brock Lesnar make up this preposterous false narrative that I knew he was coming to SummerSlam to confront you. It's a cover. It's a beard. It's a mask. Brock Lesnar, for the first time in his life, is dealing with fear. And the way that he deals with that fear is through this false narrative that I knew he was coming to SummerSlam. And that's how I know Brock Lesnar fears Roman. 
Fearsman. Yes, sir. So is he gonna show up at Extreme Rules? No! How do you know? Mm. If Brock Lesnar fears you, I I'm under the impression he wouldn't dare show up at Extreme Rules. I don't pay you to be under the impression. I pay you to know in advance. As you heard from that clip, you can already tell that the seeds of deception is still firmly being planted more into the Roman Reigns and uh, Brock Lesnar and also Paul Heyman family tree of deception and of years of debauchery between the two because Paul has a aura and a reputation of being a backstabber and a weasel so roman isn't stupid by that but he also is looking at paul really really uh carefully to make sure that he doesn't be the latest victim of paul's uh backstabbery so that continues on and that's going to continue on further down the line once we get more and more into this after this we get a match of rick boogs with king nakamura in his corner going against robert rude and Dolph Ziggler in his corner Rick Boogs wins the match after hitting Robert Roode with the Boogs Cruz. With the Boogs Cruz. What a horrible name. Uh, which is basically a pump handle slam. After this, uh, they mention how Rick Boogs is undefeated so far. And Rick Boogs and Nakamura then go over to the commentary table with Pat McAfee to start jamming out to Nakamura's music. And Rick Boogs is playing it on the guitar. But that celebration is... Cut shortly whenever they are attacked by uh, Apollo Crews and Commander Aziz. They lay out uh, Boogs and Nakamura and Commander Aziz then gives a microphone to Apollo. Main point of this is Apollo is saying that Nakamura has made a mockery of the Intercontinental Championship and Apollo wants a rematch with Nakamura for the Intercontinental Championship. After this, we get Kevin Owens at the gorilla position and he talks about Happy Corbin. He talks about he is tired of Corbin and just wants to beat him up because of Corbin attacking him a couple weeks ago whenever he had his KO show and he brought on Logan Paul on the show. He just tired of Happy Corbin and he wants to make Happy Corbin sad and now you will get a Happy Kevin. Yet again, awful. After that, we were supposed to get Kevin Owens going against Happy Corbin, but as Kevin Owens was making his way down to the ring, he was attacked behind by Happy Corbin. Corbin then decides to choke slam Kevin Owens on the ring apron so Kevin Owens couldn't compete so the match got called off. Now we go to backstage and you see Paul Heyman walking around backstage and he gets ambushed by Kayla Braxton, the interviewer. She asks him about the rumor of Brock Lesnar having the potential of being moving to Raw at the draft and asks Paul what do you think about this? Paul just happens to get sick of Kayla Braxton and just lambaste her. He tells her to leave him alone. He's tired of being asked about Brock Lesnar because he's no longer the advocate for Brock. He is the wise man for the head of the table, Roman Reigns. His allegiance lies with Roman Reigns. And he tells Kayla to leave him alone. And as soon as he turns around, he gets... Ambushed by Biggie, who's standing there with the WWE Championship, and Biggie's just laughing at Paul. And Paul tells Biggie, you know what? Congratulations. And he tells him that he's happy that Biggie 
did win the WWE Championship and go after the WWE Championship instead of going after Roman Reigns and losing that Money in the Bank Championship opportunity to Roman Reigns. And he picked a smarter choice of going after a more vulnerable champion like Bobby Lashley. Biggie tells Paul that hmm, we'll just have to see about that at Survivor Series. Then he tells Paul, or maybe I'll see Brock at Survivor Series. Or all this could be ruined by Finn Balor beating Roman Reigns because you guys aren't thinking about Finn Balor at all. Y'all just thinking past him. And he proceeds to laugh at Paul Heyman. And then as soon as he turns his head, he gets super kicked out of nowhere by Jimmy Uso. And now you get the Usos beating down on Big E. They beat him down all around the backstage area. And then they throw him into a uh, pole on on the out, um, in backstage. And now you see Big E laid out on the floor. And he just cro- uh, holding his arm and just in some agonizing pain. And then you have the Usos telling Big E that he should go back to Raw. He picked the wrong locker room to be in. And now you see Roman Reigns coming behind the Usos and telling them it's time to go. But they're happy that they beat up on Big E. So this tells you that we're going to get some type of match later down the line in which it gets announced later in the night that on this upcoming episode of Monday Night Raw, it will be the bloodline, the Usos and Roman Reigns going against The New Day, Xavier Woods, Kofi Kingston, and Big E. Again, this was a match that people wanted to see at Survivor Series, so we're getting Survivor Series straight up two months early in advance. After this, we get an in-ring promo from Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins talked about how last week was supposed to be one of the biggest wins of his career, but he doesn't feel that way after curb-stopping Edge. He talks about having hearing a pop, and he even uh, equivalates it to stomping on a bug. He says that, he can't even talk about it without doing it as much justice. So he has somebody in the production team play a video and the videos of him hitting edge with the curve stomp and edge being taken out by the ambulance. As the video is played, Seth says that was difficult for him to watch. And then Seth asks the fans a question. What did you think was going to happen? Seth talks about not being able to enjoy that win that he had over edge because of what happened after what he did to Edge. He talks about how the fans uh, and people in the backstage are looking at him differently. He can't go on social media without people asking him why did he have to do that to Edge. And then Seth has to mention that he used a legal move in a legal match and he won the match the same way like he did all the past other matches. He then says that he puts the blame on Edge and the wrestling fans. He tells the fans that they are to blame for Edge because they were cheering for Edge whenever Edge called Seth Rollins an Edge Light, whenever he dumped black goo onto him, and whenever he beat Seth Rollins at SummerSlam. He says that he isn't done with Edge. He mentioned how he watched NXT this week and how Beth said that Edge is at home recovering. And Seth then turns his eye directly to the main camera and he says, I know what Edge is thinking, because if I was in his shoes, I'll be thinking the exact same thing. And Seth ultimately makes a challenge to Edge. He says, this isn't going to end until we have one more match. So either I can come to your home and beat you up in front of your family and kids, or you can crawl your way out of that bed and come and meet me in this ring for one more match for my sanity. 
So, well, somewhere down the line, we're going to get a match between Edge and Seth Rollins somewhere. After this, we get a backstage interview of Becky Lynch. And the main point of this is that Becky Lynch is going to be out at ringside when Bianca Belair has her homecoming in her hometown of Knoxville, Tennessee. Since SmackDown's in Knoxville, Tennessee. But also, SmackDown, a lot of this episode was like really playing a highlight uh Bianca Belair and her being like this superstar athlete and this great person and being like this uh big figure in Knoxville, Tennessee. After this interview, we get our in-ring competition of Carmella and Selena Vega going against the team of Tony Storm and Liv Morgan. Liv Morgan and Tony Storm win the match by countout when Liv Morgan slingshots Carmella into the second turnbuckle and Carmella immediately rolls out of the ring holding her nose. Carmella is constantly yelling about her nose. She just keeps on saying, my nose, my nose. And Selena Vega has to walk with Carmella just up the ramp. And as they're doing this, the referee counts, and he counts to 10. So that's how Liv Morgan and Tony Storm wins. After the match, Liv grabs a microphone and asks Carmella, did she break her nose? But she says it's all snarky and funny. Liv ultimately challenges Carmella to a match at... Extreme Rules, and Liv says that she is going to make Carmella hideous on the outside as she is on the inside. Sick burn, bro. After this, we get a backstage hype-up from the Street Profits hyping up Bianca Belair's homecoming. Again, this is a homecoming episode for Bianca Belair on SmackDown. And then they focus their attention on the Usos because they want the tag team titles. They mention how... The Usos aren't paying attention. They keep on focusing on more Roman Reigns problems, but not theirs. But they're going to have to focus whatever the Street Profits come out of the tag team titles. After this, we go into the uh, trainer's locker room. And you see Carmella and Selena right there. They're checking on Carmella's nose to see if she's okay. They find out that her nose is okay and it isn't broken. But Carmella does accept the challenge from Liv Morgan. And Selena says that Liv has to go through her before she can get to Carmella first, and Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville is okay with that. After this, we go to a backstage talk from Finn Balor. He talks about how he was born into a family of railroad, railroad workers, unlike Roman, who was born into a wrestling family. Finn isn't supposed to be here, but he has scratched and clawed all his time to get to where he is today. And he mentions how the demon isn't summoned by him. The demon summons himself by calling Finn towards him. The demon doesn't like disrespect from anybody. And Finn ends this all by saying, right now you're looking at Finn Balor. But at Extreme Rules, you'll be looking at the demon, the next Universal Champion. After this, we get another backstage segment, and this one is of Naomi walking up to Sonya Deville, who's on the phone again. Naomi is tired at this moment, and she tells Sonya Deville to get off the phone. And she wants to know when she will get her match. Sonya tells her the same thing that she's been telling her every other time. Meet with me next week, and then we'll get you set up. Naomi tells her, no, 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 She's not going to wait any longer, and she reads off her resume to Sonya Deville. She says that she's been here longer than Sonya and that she is a former two-time SmackDown Women's Champion and she doesn't know why Sonya Deville has a problem with her. Naomi then starts walking into the face of Sonya Deville and tells her that she will have her match one way or another and she's tired of Sonya Deville just constantly playing her. 
After this, we get an in-ring competition of Dominic Mysterio going against Sami Zayn. And this is the third time in a row this match has happened. But this time, Rey Mysterio is on commentary for this match. Sami Zayn wins the match again after he puts his knees up when Dominic Mysterio went for the frog splash. And Sami Zayn then was able to roll up Dominic Mysterio and pin him. Sami then goes out of the ring and goes up to Rey Mysterio, who still is on commentary, and he tells him, looks like you're not that great of a coach as you think you are. After this, they play a video package of Bianca Belair at her old school and talking to kids again to hype up that Bianca Belair is here to show love for her hometown of Knoxville, Tennessee. And now you get time for the main event segment of Bianca Belair's Homecoming. You have Kane coming out, who's the mayor of Knoxville County. Yes, Kane, the big red machine, Undertaker's brother, Kane. Yes, he's a legit governor of a city. He introduces Bianca Belair, and now it's time for her homecoming. She says she's happy to be back home. She thanks her family and friends who was here tonight. And she decides to mention Becky Lynch. She mentions how Becky caught her off guard at SummerSlam and won the championship from her. But she mentions that she's going to beat Becky Lynch at Extreme Rules to win back the SmackDown Women's Championship. And they will have a celebration at Knoxville County when she comes back. Kane then says that he hopes that happens. And then he proceeds to give Bianca a key to the county. Bianca gets the key to the county and she's all happy about it. And then she says, you know what, we're going to start celebrating Knoxville County right now. And she gets the crowd to sing Rocky Top, which is their anthem, I believe. And as they're singing, you hear Becky Lynch music hit and she interrupts. Becky says that she, Bianca isn't going to beat her at Extreme Rules for the SmackDown Women's Championship. So she has nothing to worry about for that. But she wants to keep Bianca at calm because Becky's only out here to show Bianca some respect. Becky then exchange, extends her hand out for Bianca to shake it. But Bianca hesitates to shake Becky's hand, but ultimately ends up shaking her hand. Becky is smiling at this, and she tries to walk away, but Bianca is holding Becky's hand at this moment. Becky then tries to move away again. So Becky then says, screw it. She tries to hit a cheap shot and forearm Bianca Belair, but Bianca was able to see that coming and duck out of the way and put Becky Lynch on her shoulder for the kiss of death, the KOD. Becky then gets out of the KOD. It hits the man slam on Bianca Belair, a.k.a. the rock bottom. Becky then leaves the ring and goes up the stage and poses with the SmackDown Women's Championship, and that's how SmackDown ends for this week. Now it's time for AEW Dynamite. No, not Dynamite. Rampage. Excuse me. AEW Rampage. AEW Rampage starts off with an AEW Tag Team Championship match between the Butcher and the Blade with Certain members of the Hardy uh, family organization going against Lucha Brothers with Alex by their corner. The Lucha Brothers win the match and retain their titles when the Blade tried. Uh, no, he didn't try. He did tie up Penta's uh, string, mass strings on the ropes. So Penta was kind of stuck in the ropes and Penta couldn't go anywhere. So this allowed the Butcher and the Blade to beat down on Phoenix. And they were about to hit their tag team finish, which is basically a powerbomb Nick Breaker combination. But Penta does the unthinkable. He unmasks himself, but he covers his face and was able to hit a super kick on the blade. 
This allows Phoenix to hit the Butcher with a Hunukarana and pins the Butcher in this Hunukarana and win the match for the team. And this allows the Lucha Brothers to retain their tag team titles. However, after the match, the rest of the Hardy family organization come down and start attacking the Lucha Brothers. They put the boost to him, and Penta is still covering his face with his hands. And this continues to happen until Proud and Powerful, Santana, and Ortiz come down to make the save. So this could tell you right now that the Lucha Brothers and Santana and Ortiz will go against that Hardy family organization somewhere down the line. And as a matter of fact, it gets announced before the broadcast over the next week on AEW Rampage. It will be an eight-man tag, Penta and Phoenix, and also Proud and Powerful going against the Hardy family organization. After this, they play a hype package of Omega and Brian Danson to hype up their match on AEW Dynamite this upcoming week. After this, we get a match of Anna Jay with Ty Conti in her corner going against the Bunny with Penelope Ford in her corner. Anna Jay wins the match by pinfall when Anna Jay pins the Bunny with a schoolgirl pin, and that's how she wins. After the match, though, Penelope Ford and the Bunny do attack both Anna Jay and Ty Conti. They lay them both out after Penelope Ford hits both of them with brass knuckles. So she hits Ty Conti with one first, and then she hits Anna Jay with the brass knuckles, and that's how they get laid out. After this, we get an in-ring interview from Matt Hardy with Jack Evans by his corner. He talks about being upset how his how Hardy family organization has lost twice tonight, but he also talks about how a guy is in the audience dressed like Orange Cassidy and constantly has stared down Matt Hardy throughout this whole time he's been out here. Matt then walks up to the fan and attacks him. He throws him over the barricade and throws him inside the ring and hits him with a twist of fate. He then grabs a pair of scissors out and cuts the man's ponytail off. And Jack Evans pulls out hair clippers and starts shaving the guy's head. The fans are booing all of this and now you have Orange Cassidy come out the entrance tunnel. And he runs down to the ring to stop Hardy and Evans who now are rolling out of the ring. So this tells you that somewhere down the line again, we're going to have a hair versus hair match between Matt Hardy and Orange Cassidy. Somewhere. I'm not sure when they're going to do it, but you can tell. After this, we get an in-ring competition confrontation between Ruby Soho and the AEW Women's Champion, Brit, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. This, again, is to hype up their match on the upcoming Dynamite for the AEW Women's Championship. Britt tells Ruby that she doesn't know who she is still trying to figure out who she is. Ruby doesn't know who she is because she keeps on dyeing her hair every color of the rainbow. She keeps getting a new tattoo. She just doesn't know who she is. And Britt says, unlike Ruby, everybody in AEW know who she is. And she does her whole Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, whole finger-wagging thing. And the fans were able to say DMD along the chant. Ruby tells Britt that she knows who she is, but now she gets to express herself, meaning that in her former employer's uh, company, WWE, she wasn't allowed to express herself, but now she can. Uh, they begin to start, then they start sending shots at one another. Ruby uh, sends a shot towards Britt Baker way by saying that Britt is screwing some guy in the back, meaning Adam Cole. Britt says that Ruby got fired from her last place of employment, the WWE. And the Ruby sends 
another shot towards Britt Baker by saying that Britt has her head so far up Tony Khan's butt so much. I mean, these two girls were just sending shots at each other so bad. So this means to tell you that they're putting a whole lot of sauce on this chip to make sure that you watch Dynamite for their uh, AEW Women's Championship match. They finish it off by staring down each other as Britt is raising up the AEW Women's Championship. And as Ruby Soho is about to leave out of the ring, Britt tries to attack her with the championship. But Ruby does see this and duck, ducks the shot and does a double uh, single leg takedown on Britt Baker, start throwing hands onto Britt's face. But Britt rolls out of the ring and that's in for that. Now it's time for the main event, the TNT Championship match, Miro going against Fuego Del Sol. If Fuego Del Sol does lose, he has to give up his brand new car to Miro. Miro beats Fuego Del Sol to retain the TNT Championship by pinfall after Miro hits two big kicks on Fuego, one in the face and one behind the head. But Fuego did put up a good fight in this uh, match. Again, this was a better effort than his first uh, match with Miro. On the first episode of Dynamite. But again, same uh, result, losing. After the match, Miro has Fuego's car keys. And he looks like he's about to chuck it into the audience. But he puts it in Fuego's mouth. And he locks it in the game over. And he cranks it back. And now he's holding in the submission. And Fuego's tapping out. And nobody's there to save him. Until Sammy Guevara comes down. And makes the save for his friend, Fuego Del Sol. He gets in the ring. He ducks some hit from Miro and hits a big running knee to the face of Miro. Miro rolls out of the ring. And he's just looking at Sammy as Sammy then looks at the TNT Championship. He grabs the title and then lifts it up. And you now know who's the next person in line for the TNT Championship match. It is Sammy Guevara, and more than likely, we're probably going to get it uh, somewhere, not next week, because the next week's car is all booked up. So I'll give it another couple more weeks, another three weeks, and then we'll probably get that match. Or they're probably going to build it up for uh, full gear. But full gear is like in November, and I don't think that's going to happen. So yeah, give it another couple weeks. We're going to get Sammy going against Miro for the TNT Championship. But anyway, that's how Rampage ends for this week. And I want to talk about two things before I get out of here. I know this is a long episode, but this is just something that really uh, picked up on me as I was sitting and waiting for uh, one of my classes to begin. I read something about John Cena's NFT being a failure by John Cena's standards, and he even said it was a failure. He was talking to, well, John Cena was at a Florida Comic-Con Q&A, my bad. And he talked about his NFT uh, kit being a failure after his NFT kit was priced at $1,000. And in John Cena's words, WWE wanted to put together a once-in-a-lifetime fan experience. This kit is not just... Well, this kit is not just this kit. It's the belt, the clothing, an autographed picture, an autographed canvas picture, and an NFT. When it came... Up with the face value for what it costs, it came up around $500 to $600 retail value. And then they threw in the value of the NFT. I took a lot, I talk a lot about failure. This idea failed. Why is it $1,000? Because myself and the folks at WWE thought $1,000 was a fair price point. We were wrong. We were absolutely wrong. 
This shirt is number zero of 500. I thought with a value like that, the 500 will be gone. We sold 37 of them. It was a catastrophic failure. I designed all my stuff. I was super proud of this. I love the design. It's one of those instances where I put my heart and soul and did the design and was really close with the work and pieces and market research. Yes, it seems fair. I think it will be good. It sucked. It absolutely failed. I took a chance and missed. I'm sorry because it's obviously that people like the design, but it's way too much. Yes, $1,000 for something like this is way too much, John. I looked at it and I said, man, you're charging $1,000, but you still got to understand something. People don't know what NFTs are. NFT is a is a new concept for people now. NFTs are different. So for you to do that, it was a weird thing. Y'all should have just sold that thing as a bundle. You get a canvas photo, the t-shirt, and all this other stuff just without the uh, NFT part. You should have sold that thing for about a good, what, $400, and then you could have easily sold that stuff out because you would have got money. You mentioned how you sold thirty-seven, so you got straight up, what, $37,000 out of this whole thing? So, I mean, it's still a failure out of $500. let us not get it twisted. It's not that great of an impressive number, but again, you got $37,000 out of it, so you got to take your wins with your losses there, but again, this tells you that uh, you shouldn't try to price something so high up, especially with something like an NFT that nobody knows what it is like that. You got to be really market inclined to know what an NFT is. And even me, I don't know what an NFT is really that much. I just know that, well, you get an NFT is like you get like the original original and nobody will ever have the original. They can get copies of all this and all that, but they will never have like the original of it. And that's my whole idea of what an NFT is. But I could be wrong, but hey, that's what I got from it. And I want to talk about this. I saw Raw this week live. Well, technically, I went to sleep and I had to turn it back on to watch it back. And I saw that when Big E won, and I was like so happy. And the thought crossed my mind quickly. And I said, Xavier Woods is the greatest uh, professional wrestler ideas idealist in the world. Because Xavier Woods, every time when a New Day have an interview together, and they talk about the idea and the concept of the New Day. Xavier Woods will mention how the New Day came around. The whole idea of the New Day. Their whole main premise. I, their whole existence of being together was for Kofi Kingston to be world champion. Yes, they were friends. Yes, they were having fun. But their whole big point of purpose was for Kofi Kingston to be world champion. And they did that in 2019. They got Kofi Kingston to be at that point. He was world champion. Fast forward two years later, Biggie, Money in the Bank winner, WWE champion. And now, Xavier Woods, he wants to be the king of the ring. And king of the ring is supposed to be coming back. And he might be the next king of the ring, the way everything's going. And if he doesn't become king of the ring, people are going to be highly pissed off with WWE. So WWE, do what AEW's been doing. Give the people what they want. Whenever this king of the ring tournament comes back, and you guys are doing it, Put Xavier Woods in it and have him be the king of the ring. Anyway, let me get to my point here. The New Day as a whole, I'm getting off of Xavier Woods. Well, before I do that, Xavier Woods also has created a YouTube channel called Up, Up, Down, Down since, what, 2015. And that has given a lot of people opportunities 
to be characters that you've never seen before themselves. They get to show off their true personalities. They get to play video games with one another, and then they get to just enjoy themselves. They get to live out their personal experiences. They get to tell funny stories. I mean, this past pandemic, you had Xavier Woods playing Uno with Tyler Breeze, Adam Cole, and Cesaro, and they did this whole thing for a whole year straight, year and a half straight, until Adam Cole left for AEW, and they just put out a goodbye video of Adam this past week on their Instagram page. And when Tyler Breeze got fired from WWE months ago, he was still on Xavier Woods' YouTube page, which the WWE does own, and he was allowed to still be on there and be around his best friend, still do Uno, and still do Battle of the Brands on the Up, Up, Down, Down page. If you go to Up, Up, Down, Down, you'll see a whole lot of just WWE wrestler content, just playing video games. They're talking to one another, and you get to just see their real personalities. But anyway, Xavier Wood has created opportunities for a lot of people that you don't get to see on regular television to actually, you get to see them on that YouTube page and you get to see them actually get to enjoy themselves and talk real and just get them be themselves. So I want to get off of Xavier Woods for a minute and I want to talk about the actual wrestling portion of this. The New Day is the greatest faction of all time in all professional wrestling. I know people might say, oh my God, you're just, no, just hear me out here. Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen, they were legit. Ric Flair was the man, the man. So it's not that hard for you to come up and get a group if you want a group. Okay, it's not that hard for you to get a group and make that group your group. Rick for Ric Flair was the guy. So whenever the Four Horsemen came together, it was always Rick being the main guy, Tolly Blanchard being the side guy, Arn Anderson and Ole Anderson being the tag team guys. But Ole was being retired soon, and Arn was like the second. Uh, secondary man after Tully, and they became a tag team. You get the drift. You know the whole Four Horsemen story here. It's not that hard whenever you're a main talent, whenever the ball is in your court for you to say, you know what, I'm going to make a stable. And that's what happened with Triple H. Triple H made a stable of Evolution. He had the ball in his corner, and he was able to do what he wants. So, ta-da, he was able to make Evolution and psh, make world champions out of Randy and Batista, not just because they had potential, but because you had Triple H by your side and he was able to guide you in the right place. Same thing with The Shield. The Shield came in, three guys, straight up, Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, as you know him now at AEW, Seth Rollins, as people know him as Tyler Black in the independent days, and then Roman Reigns, who was a legit nobody, and he was a nobody to everybody in the rest of the world. And even in the independent sense, the only time you knew of Roman Reigns is if you were watching the FCW stuff in Florida and you had to watch it on YouTube, which me, I was a wrestling guy and I still am. I was able to keep up with the developmental talent and I knew exactly who he was whenever he broke it. I was like, oh my God, this Leaky. But anyway, stating my point here, you hear people talking about how the shield was mega protected by Triple H and all the higher ups because that was Triple H's golden boys his play boy his play toys those were his stars that he wanted as main event and you can tell they were always in some type of good category some good spots they were in main events technically because they were interrupt main event matches and they will always jump in and jump in and da 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 and then they were always in 
main event stuff or even something close to the main event, even after they split. Roman Reigns was in the main event. Seth Rollins was with the authority. Dean Ambrose was the only one that got played out throughout that whole thing as like a joke in reality when you think about it. I don't know, everybody in the Shield, which out of everybody in the Shield, he should have been the bad guy in it, and that's what everybody thought of. But I digress again. You see where I'm going with main event, main event, main event. I just named you the Four Horsemen. I just named you Evolution. I just named you the Shield. I can name the New World Order if you want to go there. They're main event guys. You had Hogan as the main guy, and you know, if you don't know, Hogan was had stroke. He was able to make up anything he wanted. He did if he wanted to lose. He didn't have to lose in WCW. You can type this stuff up and look at it. It's been proven and marked history. Hogan was a big politicker. Point being is this. When you're a big time main event status guy and you have the ball in your hand, you can make a stable and have you be around guys that are your friends or guys that you feel it doesn't get an opportunity to pull them up. The New Day, that didn't happen. They had to fight and scratch to get on television. You hear from Kofi, you hear from Woods, you hear from Big E. They talk about it. They had to fight for everything. They weren't just single-handedly just given this. They had to fight to turn into a stable to get television time. And then when that happened, they had to fight to be turned to bad guys because Vince thought that nobody would boo Kofi Kingston. And Kofi was tired of being a good guy, so he wanted to be a bad guy. So they turned to bad guys, and people were booing them. But then they became the funny bad guys because everybody knew this is what they would capitalize off. You can't have a group, whenever the New Day came out, you're like, okay, they're cool and all, they're good for this, but all right, let's hurry up and fast forward this until they be a bad guy group so we can boo them, but we know they're going to bring us some type of entertainment booing. We knew this even as fans. We were ready to boo them, but boo them for a purpose. Whenever you force feed fans something that we don't want, we'll boo that mess and get it out the way. We There's different type of boos that fans will give you. They'll boo you to play along with the show. And then there's those boos like, boo, get out of here. Boo to the writers. Boo to Vince McMahon and whoever's in creative. Those are the type of boos that the fans will give you. And that's the type of boos that they were doing whenever the New Day were being good guys for, a, what, a solid... After they debuted, what, like two months... After they debuted, they started booing the New Day. You start getting New Day boos on live television. You were able to see it and everything transcend. And then you even hear in one of the interviews that Xavier had, he's like, okay, this is the right time. This is exactly where I want them to pivot now. Now that Vince has no other choice but to turn us heel. He has no other choice but to turn us into bad guys now. So they went to Vince and Xavier said out of his own mouth, he's in it, he said in interviews before and this is why I give Xavier a whole lot of props. He told Vince, give me four weeks. If I can't make them boo us, if I can't make them boo Kofi Kingston, I shouldn't be here. So he put his career, legit WWE career that he worked so hard to get here for, he put it on the line and he won that bet. The New Day were a profitable uh, faction. You have the New Day being the longest reigning tag team champions in the WWE history. You have Kofi Kingston literally being the longest reigning tag team champion by himself and also with a group and a team, if you will. You have, I mean, you have them straight up selling out of their t-shirts, bootios, 
was a t-shirt that people were buying. You had people buying unicorn horns. You had men wearing unicorn horns on their heads as headbands. I mean, the New Day were doing things that were unprecedented in a, in a time that people couldn't get it done. All right? The only time that you could get it done is if you were John Cena or you were like even a Seth Rollins. But Seth Rollins' shirts didn't sell like that like the New Day sold. The New Days were getting parody shirts, and they were getting variation shirts of the New Day sh uh, Budio shirts. I mean, by God, New Day were hot like fish grease whenever they were bunging off in 20, what, 2016 and 2015, late 2015, 2016, 2017. I mean, they were just hitting home runs after home runs. You throw someone to the New Day, they'll hit it out the park. They were constantly doing that. And I'm just talking about on the strength of marketing and promos. Now, promos, they were funny. They were entertaining. Anytime you watch Raw out of those three hours of boringness, you won't hope to God you saw the New Day on it because, by God, the New Day were going to give you something that you will want to see, whether it be a fight or some type of entertainment segment or some type of something that will make you just laugh or whatever the case may be. The New Day did this for you, and might I add, they were not main top guys. They had to become top guys off of doing all of this. I'll say it again. They were not top guys when they were doing this. They had to become top guys after they did all of that. That's the truth. That's point blank the truth. And let me just make it down into in-ring competition now. When they became, the night that they became the longest reigning tag team champions, they went through four other teams. They did two three-way tag team matches. The first three-way match that they had of the night were the New Day going against the team of Cesaro and Sheamus and the Good Brothers. And then you had them beat them. And then later in the night, they had one in the main event. It was the teams of Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho going against Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns going against the New Day for the tag team titles. And the New Day still came out on top of that to become the longest reigning tag team champions of the WWE history. New Day consists now of Big E, who's the WWE champion, who was the first NXT Black Heavyweight Champion. He is a former two-time Intercontinental Champion. He is a nine-time Tag Team Champion. You have Kofi Kingston, who has mad Tag Team title reigns. He's a mad-time Intercontinental Champion. He was a mad-time United States Champion. He is a one-time WWE Champion. And Xavier Woods, he is a mad-time Tag Team Champion, but he is one of the greatest managers slash wrestler managers of all time that will go down the record book because he is a guy, when you give him the mic, he's articulate. He's able to make you cheer them or boo them. He also then incorporated the trombone, which he's called Francesca. Yeah, Francesca won. And then whenever she got killed by Chris Jericho, and they had a whole eulogy for it, and then he brought out Francesca too in the Royal Rumble of 2016, and the fans loved it. By God, the New Day are that inter they're that good that they were able to turn anything from crap into fairy dust into gold, a diamond, a brick. They were able to turn crap into a diamond brick, you understand? 
That means that thing is hard to break. The New Day were able to take care of that. NWO, they sure couldn't do it because they would have crapped all over an idea. DX, they would have had to find their way, but they wouldn't have been able to do it in the, in the PG era because DX only works in the Attitude Era style. Evolution wouldn't have gone for any of this because they were a serious playboy style of of group. They were a main eventers, but they were guys that didn't take no bullcrap from nobody. Um, the Shield, they didn't do nothing goofy. They were always in the main event position, so they didn't get to do anything goofy. The New Day are them guys. They are the greatest faction in WWE history. Put some respect on the New Day's name. If you have a problem with what I said, yo, look at everything of what I said and look at it seriously. Look at how the New Day were positioned compared to how the Shield were positioned, Evolution were positioned, NWO were positioned, and DX were positioned. Look at those four main groups because those, whenever we talk about always the top four factions or top five factions, we always go with DX. We're now putting the Shield in because they had an unprecedented reign and their reign only lasted for straight up a year and a couple of months. And then we talk about DX, and then we talk about the NWO. We always put those names in the faction list. We need to put the New Day higher than all of them because they were able to do what I said, turn crap into a diamond brick. They had to fight their way to get on television, and then when they got on television, they were the most must-see act on Raw or SmackDown or whatever television wrestling program they were on, and also the things that they were doing independently by themselves. Whenever Big E had to split away from Kofi and Xavier, he became the Mr. Money in the Bank. He became WWE Champion, and he was a winner. When Kofi and Xavier were tag team champions, they still were able to put on bangers of matches. They were also able to put on one-on-one -on -one matches against the greats. Xavier had a great match against Matt Riddle. You had Kofi having great matches independently by himself. I mean, New Day are them guys. I just want people to put more respect on the New Day's name. And I want them to literally have them as the, the best faction of WWE. People are going to have their own opinions. But with everything in consideration, without being saying, oh, I'm going to put New DX. Well, look at DX. They had the main eventer of Shawn Michaels there. So it wasn't that hard, especially in the Attitude Era, to be at the top. I'm going to put NWO there. Okay, look at Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. They were two of the top guys in WWE that came to WCW. And they were in the main event. They were in the storyline. And then they got Hulk Hogan. Please. Oh, no. I'm not doing that. Then you want to say, okay, look at Evolution. Okay, Triple H was what? The World Heavyweight Champion. And he recruited, what, Batista and Ric Flair. And Randy Orton. Okay, but who was their main guy that everything revolved around? Triple H. And what happened at the end of Evolution, not Evolution, but Armageddon, uh, 20, what, 2003? You had every member of Evolution holding championship gold, and Evolution literally came to form and fruition all together in the year 2003. They all won gold that year. And people will say, okay, look at the Four Horsemen. Again, Ric Flair, main event guy again. I stand on the premise of your guy was the main event guy already. And he created and surrounded himself with guys that he was able to be friends with or were friends with and were able to do whatever he needed to do 
to get them on television. Not even get them on television, but just be in a main event to gain bigger money for him and his family and himself. The New Day? Nope. We work from the bottom, get our way up there, and then when we got to the top, we're at the top. And we're going to bring other people up. The New Day had great matches with Brizongo. They had great matches with the Usos. They had great matches with Cesaro and Kid. They had great matches with Cesaro and Sheamus, the bar. They had great matches with uh, Harper and Rowan. I mean, you had so many great team and tag team matches that the New Day were able to produce that I just think that people don't give them that much respect as was deserved to them. But again, that's me wrapping it up. The New Day are the best WWE faction of all time. You can hate me if you want. I don't care. You don't like that opinion. I don't care, but I want you to go off the premise. When you talk about the greatest faction of all time, I want you to look at how did they all come together. Was their main guy already a main eventer? Were they all main eventers when they came together? Because they're all main eventers when they came together. I ain't trying to hear that as them being the best faction. I ain't trying to hear that. Because they were already all main eventers. And it ain't that hard to do that and become the best faction. Nah, you got the you got the ball in your court. Literally, the ball's in your court. You can do whatever you want. But if you guys are literally nobodies, not even gonna say nobodies, but guys that are on the bottom of the card, as Kofi was at his time, and Biggie was at his time, and Xavier was at his time. And they weren't literally main eventers. And then they worked themselves all the way to the top to be the main eventers. And they have never split. And they've been around since 2014 to now. So this is about a good what? This will be seven years in November. They've been together and not had one single split. Yeah, they're the greatest faction of all time. You can dislike it, but you got to love it. You got to look at everything that I presented to you and objectively look at it, and you might come with the same opinion that New Day is literally the best faction in WWE history. But anyway, that has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I have been G2. And before I get you out of here, let me give you my social media links that you can hit me up on. On Twitter, is at My2Podcast. Instagram, my 2 Cents Podcast G2. And for Yahoo, for if you want to message me about anything, because remember, life is precious. I don't need people to be transitioning out of here because uh, anything can happen to you. And I don't need you to just try to transition because you want to uh, escape this world because you feel that nobody's here to talk to you. If you want to talk to me or you just want to just have me be a listening wall, my email is my two cents pod at yahoo.com. Again, my two cents pod at yahoo.com. And when you put all these things in, it's not TWO or TOO. It is the number two. And also, if you want to look at my past and future episodes of the podcast, you can do they are available at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbeam, uh, Amazon Music, and also Audible. And again, I want to thank you all for listening to me. Today was a longer episode of Wrestling Holidays of the Week. But I just felt that I want to talk about the New Day's greatness at the end of this so you can understand how passionately I feel about the New Day. And especially since they now have got two-thirds of their members as world champions. And Xavier isn't trying to look to be world champion. He just wants to be the king of the ring. And the king of the ring is coming. So we can give him his wish and he'll be the king of the ring. So again... That's just my uh, hopeful opinion on that. So, again, this has been My Two Cents Podcast uh, presenting 
uh, Wrestling Alex of the Week, hosted by G2. I have been G2. I hope you guys do turn into my tomorrow episode for uh, Sunday. There will be topics of the news, variety, and things I just want to talk about. And uh, yeah, that is it. And with that, I bid you adieu, farewell, ta-ta. I love you all. This isn't goodbye. This is until you hear this sweet voice. And with that being said, Kanye, take them out of here, please. I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.